Hi there, welcome to How to Live, a podcast that explores ways to live a good life. I'm your host Sharad Lal. This is episode 14. In today's show, we're going to talk about climate change and sustainability. Joining me will be Stephanie Dixon. I got interested in climate change after watching Steph's documentary. She went on an expedition to the Arctic and witnessed the impacts of climate change firsthand. I liked her explanation of the climate crisis. Over millions of years, we've created cities and towns based on weather patterns. Crops were planted in areas where the climate made sense. Cities sprung up where the topography was favorable. Over the years, this worked because the climate was predictable. But in the last hundred years, the climate is changing drastically. Where it's supposed to rain, it doesn't. Where it's supposed to be hot, there are fires. Coastal cities are under threat of being drowned out. We cannot shift the way we've organized the world fast enough to account for these massive changes in climate and topography. As a result, the world we've created for ourselves is becoming unfit to live in. The latest IPCC reports have confirmed that we are already in a crisis. But there's good news. There are solutions, we have momentum, now it's time to collectively act. Steph and I talk about this, sustainability, and how we as an individual can make a difference. Here's a brief introduction of Steph. She's an entrepreneur and a leading voice for sustainability in Asia. She's a two-time TEDx speaker, a prestige 40 under 40, leader of Tomorrow by Tatler. Steph has founded Green is the New Black, Asia's first conscious festival and media platform. This was back in 2015 when there was very low awareness about the climate. CNBC describes her as the sustainability entrepreneur helping Asian businesses combat climate change. Steph also hosts a successful podcast. She is on a mission to make conscious living mainstream, accessible and sexy. Before getting to the interview, here's thanking all of you for your overwhelming support. The podcast is now listened to in over 55 countries. Thank you for spreading the word and all the encouraging messages. Now here's the interview. Hi Steph, welcome to How to Live. Great to have you on the show. Hope you're having a good day. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our discussion today. Excellent. Let's get started. Now, I know you started in fashion and then afterwards you went into climate change and sustainability even before it was cool. What made you move there and when did you do that? As you said, I used to work in fashion. I used to run fashion festivals around Asia. I always wanted to work in fashion. I dreamt about working in that industry as a little girl. And so when the opportunity arose, I was totally grabbed at it. After about 4 years in, I started feeling a little bit on autopilot and all of a sudden started coming across information that was talking about the fashion industry being a very unsustainable place. Then I watched a documentary called The True Cost, which was truly eye-opening. and i fell very deep into the rabbit hole and realized that fashion was actually one of the most polluting industries in the world and one of the most socially corrupt and i had no idea that this was actually happening behind the very glamorous curtain that the industry displays so i had a bit of a personal crisis i guess you can say where i was as i said deep in the rabbit hole trying to understand what was happening and just feeling really blindsided to be perfectly honest that i didn't actually know that this was going on i felt almost like how could i not have known because the problem is it runs so deep behind and in into the industry i basically quit my job and decided i wanted to be part of the solution instead of continuing to perpetuate the problem so i started doing a lot of research trying to figure out what 
I could do. And having come from an events background, I decided to start doing small meetups where I could learn about sustainability because at the time, a lot of the events were really preachy or really businessy. And I just didn't feel welcome or I felt completely out of my depth because the information was just too overwhelming. So I decided to start at a slower pace and do small meetups. And that led me to launch the Conscious Festival, which is to date still our biggest event that we do. But now it's grown to be in multiple different cities from Singapore, Hong Kong, and last year, Paris, having about 5,000 people. And now it's hybrid as well, post-COVID integrating. And we did a virtual one as well. So it's been quite a journey. When I started in 2015, I was laughed at a lot by my friends. They didn't understand what I was doing. They were making jokes in front of me that I was going to be this hippie and blah, blah, blah. And that was part of the, the impetus to keep me going and get creative about, okay, how can I design something that's really cool? Because what I was discovering was amazing. I was discovering all these incredible brands and humans that were creating really cool, beautiful products that no one really knew about. So I wanted to build a platform to talk about all the great stuff that was happening and to start making sustainability cool. So that's really what drove the mission for a long time, kept me going through all the tough times, (laughs) is how can we make this something that is accessible, but also a little sexy for people as well. If you could talk a little bit about the Conscious Festival, the kind of people you met, uh, like you said, 5,000 different people, and you brought them out over these seven years now. Yeah, well, I mean, over seven years, I think we're over 30,000 people that we've had join our oh, events. Wow. Each event is about 5,000 now. So over the years, yeah, it's been an amazing amount of people that have come through our doors. It's a real variety. Obviously, the real diehard sustainability people that come and they just want to also connect to other brands and meet other people in the space. There's also young, a lot of young parents that come that want a better future for their kids. There's also a lot of working professionals. And then there's just people that get dragged along by their friends that have no idea what they're coming to. And those are my favorite because then they come in there. All of a sudden, they're looking around. They're like, oh, wow oh, is is that like a a compost over there? And what is that? And then they start realizing like, oh, I'm at this really cool fun event and it's also super sustainable. Hopefully that kind of helps them along their journey of sustainability as well. Because we've been on our own journey. When we started, I had no idea what I was doing. Over the years, as my sustainability knowledge has grown and the people that we're working with and involved in, so has the platform. But it's always managed to bring a really amazing group of people, really welcoming, fun community. And that's always been a really great part of it. I think one of the big things that I always loved is when people came up to us after a talk or we bumped into them later and they'll say, oh yeah, actually it was your event that first made me think about this. And that dove me into all of these different things on their own rabbit hole or that they'd quit their job to help their family business be more sustainable. You hear all these beautiful stories and those are the things that really kept us going especially because it is tough doing large-scale events and it was tough to survive through COVID as many people I'm sure can relate to. So the community really made it and kept us going through through all of this. For people who are not completely aware, what really are these sustainability people, these small entrepreneurs who, who do stuff related to sustainability? If you can just give a description of a few of them so we can visualize them. Yeah, absolutely. I can share, especially the ones that I discovered in the beginning. So there was this one brand by this lady and she was making necklaces that was were upcycled. So she was collecting 
pipes and building materials, basically, that were going to landfill. She was working with this collective of women to actually create and craft the necklaces and paying them fair wages and had beautiful stories of how these pieces were created and that they were upcycled, diverting waste from landfill. And they were stunning. This was one of the first brands that I fell in love with because not only did I think that their brand was so on trend and so funky and timeless, but also they had this incredible story and they were just making it so cool. Fast forward now, there's so many amazing people that are doing such creative stuff. There's a beer brand in Singapore called Crust Beer and they collect stale bread from bakeries and from supermarkets and they use that bread to actually as the yeast for the beer that they're making and that's all done within Singapore. That's so cool. You're taking a problem, an existing waste product and you're making something that people can consume and it's a homegrown brand. I, I think it can be really doom and gloom when you talk about sustainability or you first get awoken up in, in the rabbit hole of all the deep information and the overwhelming and very anxiety-inducing facts. But then when you discover all of the humans who are using their time and their intelligence and their creativity to actually change the game, that gives a lot of positivity around it again and can make you continue to believe in humanity to save the day. <laughs> Absolutely. Inspirational stories. And, and it's good to see, like you said, some of them are taking these learnings into bigger organizations as well and helping them bring sustainability in there. Are there any examples that come to mind for those? What's interesting is a lot of big corporations can actually purchase some of these sustainable companies so that they are changing the the game. So for example, Unilever purchased Ben & Jerry's. Ben & Jerry's is actually very much a social activist and environmentalist company, even though they produce ice cream. They are huge advocates. They will help to sponsor and help create movements and educational campaigns around climate change and other social issues. And now they've got their whole vegan range. They were one of the first big companies to actually create a vegan range more and more we're seeing that these businesses are actually seen as something that is profitable and valuable to massive corporations and then of course you have other companies that are able to go in and really help corporations to reduce their footprint and educate their customers about it there's one that came out of singapore called handprint they're both consumer facing and business facing and they basically have all of these different carbon offsetting projects that they're working on around asia and they're also helping to educate corporate it's, it's fantastic. I think the more that people, even from within these companies, can actually push for more sustainability initiatives, especially now with all the ESG reporting and all the regulations, uh, we're going to see a lot more shift happening because we need it. Absolutely. When you started, it was still at a native stage, but now not only entrepreneurs, but companies, governments, many individuals have got together as a movement to move it forward. What are the big changes that you've seen in this field, which are taking the planet to a better place? When I started in 2015, people were like, sustainability, what, what does that even really mean? And why does it matter? And what are you thinking? This is such a waste of time. It was just a really, there was a lot of resistance against it back then. Then you fast forward a few years, people are starting to open up, more people are getting aware of the issues, more companies are starting and doing things in a way more structural way and really solving some of the world's problems. Yeah, trying to grow and, and succeed. And now you're seeing that 
most corporate companies, it is on their lips. ESG, which is environmental social governance, this, which is all the regulation that's coming out in the coming years or already started being mandated. Every company has to deal with this. And if they're not dealing with it, well, they're not going to be around for very long because the regulation is finally catching up and is here. It, It is exciting to finally see that more and more people are talking about it. Of course, I still live in echo chamber. Sometimes I do need the reality check because I forget actually that there's still so many people that need to be woken up and brought uh, into this way of thinking and you know into this whole shifts for sustainable lifestyles and living, but also sustainable business. Sure. For folks outside the echo chamber, and I know there's lots outside there, what are some of the things that we could do to make our little difference towards this? There's this incredible company called Project Drawdown and Chad Frischman is the head scientist of that group. And I always quote him because I think I just love his whole philosophy on, on this. And he always says, choose your own adventure. And it's so simple yet it's so powerful because this can be fun. This doesn't have to be a sacrifice as on an individual level. It can be an adventure. It can be something that you're passionate about and you get excited about. And really when you find something that a topic that you are passionate about, you can go out and make that change and bring other people along for that journey as well. And it, it can be fun. So I think their philosophy is really amazing. Also, they are very well backed in science and they have, I think it's over a hundred different solutions to solve the climate crisis. What they also say is that they're 80% of the solutions that we need to mitigate already exist. It's really just about implementing and amplifying. You can literally look at the list, figure out what you're passionate about, the things that you can do that will make a difference in your life that stretches you a little bit because at Green is New Black, we always talk about sustainability is a journey. You can take step-by-step as long as you continue to move forward, stretch a little bit out of your comfort zone and then find the excitement for it and, and the passion. Another person that I actually interviewed on my podcast is the founder of Just Meet, Josh Tetrick. And he said something which I resonated with me very deeply because he said, at this point in the world, there's no real excuse for you not to be spending your time and your work solving one of the world's most pressing problems because there is so much funding going into different aspects of this. There is so much support now. And if you have a great idea and and a solid business plan, like you can actually also do good and do well. And that's the beauty of this now that I think a lot of people don't even realize Or you don't need to be an entrepreneur, but you can join a company who is doing something that is good, or you can be the one that acts as an entrepreneur within your current company structure and push them to be more sustainable. The other thing is, of course, food is a massive part of this conversation. Agriculture is one of the biggest polluters. There are billions of animals that are slaughtered on a monthly basis. The last stats that I heard of is between 45 and 55 billion animals are killed on a yearly basis. That that stat alone is is just insane. So you have to think about the impact that has on the planet, that the Amazon forest, one of the biggest reasons it's continually destroyed is for agricultural land. So we're basically killing the lungs of the earth to produce animals. Obviously, food is a tough one for people. And I'm not saying that everyone should go vegan or be plant-based, but just be a little more curious about what's on your plate, where did it come from, how was it made? And also think about maybe just looking at a little bit of a flexitarian diet. There are so many different versions of diets nowadays, and it's way easier in most places in the world to be flexible. So you can even just start reducing meat 
and having meat less, a lot less in the week. You can even look at other diets like pescatarianism or there's reducitarianism. There's like so many different isms of diets. And that's exciting because you can find something that works for you that's a little bit of a stretch, but also then you can discover all these other incredible foods. As a collective, we can really shift. And if you're looking for other little daily things that you can do, there's a great resource called by the United Nations called Anatomy of Action. And they have five areas in our lives that basically if all of us did the things that they suggest and they're really simple switches, we would have a huge impact for the planet. Thanks for that. And I'm going to get the resources from you and put it in the show notes for people who are interested. There are a few things there that I want to double click. And the first one that you talked about, I think the name was Project Drawdown, right? In that you talked about fun ways of doing things which are also sustainable. Do you have one or two examples that come to mind? Diet's a huge one because Mm. you can get so curious and experimental with different cuisines that you've never even looked at that are lighter for the planet and impact. And that can be something fun, especially if you love cooking and being in the kitchen. Other ones is fashion. If you love clothes, then you can really go on a very fun adventure to discover brands that are doing things in a way better way and also really beautiful or even start getting into pre-loved their pre-loved luxury and normal markets are growing so quickly and there's so much potential for that as well. Or even just getting creative with your own wardrobe. If you did a wardrobe audit, you pulled everything out of your wardrobe and you started looking at what do you actually wear, then there's the opportunity to start upcycling or getting creative or cutting things or restitching stuff together. You can really look at that as a whole family activity as well if you wanted to. Great examples there. The thing that I'm very interested in is food. For someone who doesn't know food too well, are there resources out there which rate foods in terms of how well they're doing in terms of sustainability? Yeah, absolutely. There's this one graphic that shows you the carbon footprint or and emissions of all of the different uh, types of food. Obviously, well, meat is the most at the very top. Coffee's pretty high. Chocolate's kind of middle. Obviously, plants and nuts go down towards the bottom. And it's really interesting because you can very easily see dairies around the middle level, middle high, I guess you could say. And it's just a really easy, simple visualization that I'm sure we can also link in the show notes that just demonstrates sure. the impact of the choices or the type groups of food that you would be eating. So that's one really good one. Another one is most carbon calculators also show you this. If you just wanted to figure out your individual carbon footprint, a lot of them actually then show you like the impact of removing or adding different parts like meat or dairy or uh, seafood and like the impact that would have. And then there's some really great websites like a billion. So a billion was started out of Singapore as well. And it is a plant-based review platform that now has had millions of reviews around the world. And it's really cool what they do because for every review that you do for a plant-based dish or a plant-based product, they actually give you $1 and that $1 will be donated to a organization and charity of your choice via their website. And that is also a great tool to discover restaurants nearby you. And it's not necessarily all plant uh, vegan restaurants. It's restaurants that actually cater for good dishes. So it could be just then you can go and you can eat good plant-based dishes or find good plant-based products. And they have ratings and they have awards and all these kind of things. So you can very easily find the best of the best. So there's a lot of stuff like that's available. And one of the, if you were curious to explore, 
explore. There's like veganuary. So it's, it normally happens in January, but you can do it at any point where you go vegan for a month and it gives you a lot of support to help you discover what to eat, what kind of products are vegan versus what are not and how to navigate that with recipes and community support and all that type of thing. There you can find the information very quickly in summary. And there are some great companies that can help you along the way on your new curious journey. And of course, a lot of great Instagram accounts as well. Sure. Thanks for that, Steph. As you spoke about all these things, what struck me is that with sustainability and climate change, there's so many related values and you can pick what value is important to you and take this on through that value. So if minimalism works for you, it could be a wardrobe clean out. If creativity works, it could be fashion. So that makes it very accessible. Yeah. And I would say like one other big thing is when you're throwing stuff, there's a lot of communities on Facebook that will take your unwanted things. When I moved house, I was able to rehome so much stuff, like really random stuff. Like I had a packet of stationery. I had some stamps, like small things that I wasn't going to use. And I just listed all of these different things on these sites and people came and collected them. There are also places that if your clothes can't be donated because they're in bad quality or they've got stains on them or whatever, there are textile recycling places that you can drop them off. So at least the textile will get recycled or it can be downcycled into couches and carpets and all these types of things things. It's a little bit of a stretch of the research, but then you can really know that you've done everything you could. Thank you, Steph, for playing such a huge role in making the planet a better place for all of us. That was part one of the interview. The second part focuses on Steph's challenges with mental health and anxiety. We will air that on a later date. From today's conversation, here are a few action steps one can consider. What's an area of sustainability that resonates with us? What small change can we make? It can be as simple as buying pre-loved or reducing one's wardrobe or could be making a temporary shift in one's diet. How can we make this fun and also contribute to the planet? At work, organizations are more keen than ever to act on sustainability. What change can we influence in our company? As a consumer, can we be a little more conscious about the types of products we consume? What goes into them? Where do they come from? As an investor, by investing in ESG funds, green funds, not only does our money help in climate change, but the returns have been very good over the past few years. It's a win-win investment. Apart from this, if there's anything else in the episode that resonated with you, do consider making a start if you already haven't. I hope you enjoyed this episode. In the next episode, we talk about saying no. Many of us struggle with saying no. This affects our relationships and ultimately our mental health. We meet Dave. Dave's the life of the party. Everyone wants to be around him. He's a reliable friend and a happy person. But Dave's got a problem. He doesn't know how to say no. The problem blows up on him and puts him in an impossible situation. Through Dave's story, we discuss relevant psychological theories on boundaries and look at ways to set healthy limits. This episode will drop two weeks from now on 10th of May. I hope you join me for this. Till next time, have a wonderful day ahead. Bye-bye.